Welcome to the Madison Miller Podcast. Second guest of the evening. Um, covers a lot of things. He covers the Knicks for Sports Illustrated. He is a WNBA expert. He's worked for several different WNBA sites and whatnot. Mr. Jeff Maglachetti, how are you doing on this fine Thursday evening? Miss Madison Miller, it's great to be here. Thanks for having me on again. Always a good time with you. Always a good time. That's right. Um, the WNBA starts tomorrow officially. A ton of big storylines, but the biggest storyline to me in the WNBA as we speak right now is the situation going on in Las Vegas with the Aces. They get snapped of their draft pick in 2025. Becky Hammond suspended for two games. Give us your take on this Aces situation, and do you think it's going to affect them this season? Now, look, knowing what we know about Las Vegas, I mean, from an encore perspective, this probably shouldn't. And it's probably the one reason why right now that um, Vegas would be favored over the Liberty at this point in time, if only because, you know, chemistry is important. And, you know, we can talk we can talk hour after hour about uh, what the Liberty have done this season. I know I, I have many times, but um, and undoubtedly, I feel like the Liberty should be able to get things right quickly, but... I think in terms of on-court chemistry, that's really going to be important for Vegas. They're familiar with each other. Most of them won a championship together. but And unfortunately, the missing part of that, of course, is Derricka Hamby. And the real unfortunate part of this is because if this comes at a bit of a boom for um, women's basketball at this point in time. We just came off one of the most watched, one of the more exciting uh, NCAA women's basketball tournaments that we've seen in years uh, the W itself is enjoying a bit of an uptick right now. You're seeing a lot of players. You're seeing their message spread more and more. Uh, not just their message, I should. It's more their exposure at this point. How many times have we seen those, you know, CarMax ads with uh, Candace Parker speaking of Vegas and uh, Sue Bird joining the NBA guys? Um, but the, 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 for example, um, but the thing is about Vegas, it's just unfortunate to see is because Vegas appeared to be, you know, one of the teams they really seem to get it right terms of their team because expansion not expansion but um relocation and or disassociation from a quote-unquote nba brother seems to be a bit of a death knell for most teams in this league and that's exactly what seemed to happen with uh with vegas like they went oh they broke away from the spurs they were the silver stars and the stars they broke away from san antonio and went over no no way i'm I'm wrong about that i'm uh uh, yes, they were they were the Silver Stars. I apologize. Yeah, they were Silver Stars. Broke away from San Antonio, go over to Vegas. That's a death knell for most teams. We've seen it with so many t- teams: the Charlotte Sting, the Miami Soul, heck, even the mighty Houston Comets weren't immune to that. So I feel that Vegas really dug themselves in, and they really start to take care of their players a little bit in the sense that you know they had their own training facility, they hired the right people in here, they put themselves on the path to a championship, and really took advantage of some you know lean years to really push themselves forward and into the elite national conversation in terms of basketball champions. But unfortunately, what this handy situation is, it it's just kind of a black mark for this league in the sense that, you know, it comes at a point where, you know, things were trending in the right direction and all it takes for this league in some situations and part of that's earned, part of that's unearned is that, um, you know, one tough mark for this league, a league that's trying to, you know, prove its legitimacy through issues both on and beyond on and off the court, prove, break through those issues. All it takes is one major one like this, because this isn't like a small chickens incident. Unfortunately, this is really something that's, that could really leave a mark on a team. And re- when, you know, one of the players, you know, 
one of the players' mental states, one of their physical states, too, is in question. It's a tough mark on this league. So what? What to answer the question, I apologize if I'm drawing on a bit here. To answer the question, you know, Vegas has enough firepower and enough chemistry to kind of, you know, weather this storm a little bit on the court, at least in terms of the standings. But in terms of the long term, in terms of the off-court ramifications, this it's a tough mark for this league, undoubtedly. I agree. It's a big deal off the court. But I think on the court they'll be okay because of the talent they have. Although uh, Hammond is going to be suspended the first two games. All right. The biggest story in the WNBA this offseason and over the past year is Brittany Grinder. She is finally coming back. Um, what are your expectations for her this season? You know, um, I give her all the credit in the world for coming back because, you know, it would have been it would have been totally understandable if she kind of you know took a year off, kind of gathered her stuff a little bit. I mean, who knows what she's gone through? Who knows what's 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 going on in her in her psyche right now? And but you know, she came back. She made a commitment. She wanted to come back. She wanted to be on the floor for this. So I feel that you know maybe we should curb our expectations a little bit. You know, but at the same time, you know, this is Brittany Griner we're talking about. Before she even, even as she gets to uh, you know in her thirties, as she works through as she works through kind of the latter stages of her career, she's still a dominant force in this league. And I feel that you know with a year off, you know she's going to want to make a statement. She's going to want to come back with a vengeance and whatnot. So, you know, obviously keep things realistic, but at the same time, I feel that we should see, we should see, you know, images, we should see glimpses of the old Brittany Griner. Again, it might take a few games for her to get back used to that again, but you know, she really dedicated herself this offseason. She got the workouts in, she got herself into playing shape and got herself, because we forget, how quickly we forget, it's, it's less than a half year since her release was negotiated. It's just about six months at this point in time. I feel it was, uh, yeah, that happened in December, I believe. So I feel that, you know, while we should keep things realistic, while we should keep things, you know, expectations, that's the thing about athletes. We tend to forget, you know, we tend to forget they're human, just like the rest of us. And who knows what she kind of went through over there. But at the same time, you know, if we know one thing about Brittany Griner, she's going to make sure that she's in tip-top shape for what's going to be a very, very, very interesting season from her perspective. I think it's going to be a very interesting season for her and for her team as well. Um, the New York Liberty made some monster moves this offseason, most notably signing Brianna Stewart away from the Seattle Storm. I think this is a big season for the Liberty. Expectations all of a sudden. Um, what are your... What are your uh, takes on the uh, Liberty and their chances of actually uh, um, hoisting a trophy? You know, I think the good thing for the Liberty is they hired the right people to kind of you know, this is why Sandy Brondello was hired. This is why you bring in a championship on. She, of course, had you know, a very strong team in Phoenix a couple years back and really rolled that to the title. So this is this is what New York has been building towards. This is what they brought in you know, so many of these faces for. And this is why, you know, Sabrina Ionescu went number one. This is why they opted to keep an all-star like Benajah Laney despite, uh, you know, 
her only playing nine games last season. But one thing, but again, one thing the Liberty has done, they have surrounded, they have surrounded this so-called super team with a lot of bright names to help them succeed. And it's all, and all that matters is how fast can they get it together? Because not only are they going to be playing their first regular season games together, some of them kind of, uh, some of them missed the off-season preparation. Stewart, for example, she uh, had a really loaded season in Europe. It took her a couple weeks to kind of finally get back on her feet. And her first time on the Liberty practice court was last week. She did partake in the preseason game on Saturday. Box score left a little something to be desired. I'm sure she'll be the first to say that. But, at, but you know, at the same time, you know, it's all going to be, be about the chemistry. Courtney Vandersloot has spent most of training camp in concussion protocols, so we'll see how we'll see how that works out in her favor. John Cole Jones, she likewise made her debut on Saturday in Vegas. So I feel that this is this is going to be very uh, telling for Sandy Brondello's uh, basketball legacy. One thing I think we should keep an eye on in the early going for New York, I feel that they're going to have to win a lot of defensive struggles early because you know there's going to be a lot of you know getting your professional footing back, getting back into the swing of things. They're going to have to get things right and get things right on the defensive end. And I think that's one of the reasons they kept uh, Miara Sabali, their, their, their number five pick from the uh, 2022 draft. And the, re- and the reason that would be shocking is because we've seen so many rookies, we've seen so many uh, – prospects from so many recent drafts kind of they end up on the free agent front and that was really personified with the release of 2021's number one pick uh charlie collier who is now who was released from the dallas wings earlier this week um that's another conversation entirely it's both a blessing and a curse the talent shift we've seen at the collegiate basketball level there's so many strong talents that you're finding not just finding in the top of the top five of the draft anymore that the twelve team system isn't sustainable, but that's that's a whole other conversation for another day. But but about the Liberty, I think that's they're really going to have to rely on defense a little bit. That's why uh, you see players like Jocelyn Willoughby was kept on the team. Jocelyn Willoughby, of course, you know, could could still end up proving to be proving to be the steal of the draft. You don't want to call her a bust by any stretch of the imagination because. She has dealt with injuries over the past few years. She's only she's been on the team for four years now, but um, has only played in thirty three games. She had knee issues last season, missed the entire twenty twenty one season due to a torn Achilles. But you know the Liberty have done, done their almost. They kept players like Jocelyn Willoughby on this roster. They kept players like Niar Sabli on this roster. I think that's going to show where they stand in the early stages because they might have to win some defensive struggles while that chemistry sorts itself out. And the chemistry, of course, will be formed by the leadership group of Sandy Brondello, of Sabrina Ionescu, who is, who is bar none now, the leader of this group in the face of the Brooklyn era for this team. So I feel that it's going to be a very telling stretch for the Liberty. You know, people always say it's not about how you start, it's where you finish. I'm very curious to see where the Liberty are able to start. Yeah, me too. I'm very interested to see how uh, they get started with this new mesh of players. Um, Who's a team that you think has kind of flown under the radar this year that could some that could catch us by surprise? Yeah, I think Chicago should seem to keep an eye on in that regard. I feel like Chicago has kind of, uh, you know, it, 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 their title feels like so long ago and they've lost so many bases. They've lost... Uh, Diamond to Shields. They've lost uh, 
They've lost Courtney Vandersloot. They've lost uh, Candace Parker. They've lost Ellie Quigley. But at the same time, I feel like there's enough talent, there's enough knowledge left on this team. There's enough additions who have come in, and they've really started to kind of, uh, you know, work well enough with the team. There's, there's players like Courtney Williams. There's players like Marina Mabry. Marina can shoot from deep. Kalia Copper is still there, and she's now a bona fide leader of this team. So I feel like a lot of people have written off Chicago in the early going, but I think they're definitely worth keeping an eye on. You never want to count on a team that has tasted a championship so recently, especially in the tightly congested WNBA. Uh, you obviously can't count on them to be in the penthouse this, penthouse this year. I think that's Vegas's territory. Vegas is to lose at this point. Obviously, the Liberty on paper should be there, but you want to see a couple games first. You want to see them actually go out there and prove it. We play these games for a reason, after all. But I think Chicago will certainly be someone to keep an eye on a little bit. I know there's a lot of hope in uh, Indiana this year, especially with the addition of uh, Topicalia Boston. So I feel, But I feel like Chicago will, will, will really be someone. You don't want to count them out. I feel like they've seen the headlines about them. They've seen that people are kind of out counting them out a little bit. But Clea Copper has come in time and time again and has really been at the forefront of uh, disproving those narratives. And now there's a brilliant opportunity for them to kind of take take that take that in a massive way and really play up that and really play up that storyline this time around. Oh yeah, the Chicago Sky for sure. I remember what was their day one? Did they win the COVID year or the year before that? They won. Um, I, I I hesitate to call it the COVID year. It was twenty twenty one, where it was like a COVID year, but not really. It, okay. They, they won at a, let's just say they won at a period when they're, when people were still sitting next to uh cardboard standees and, 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 right. <laughs> right. Uh, gosh. I thought they I, won I it in 2020. They were my pick in 2020. And then, and then in 2021, I, uh, I said to myself, "Look, I'm not, I'm not going to, I'm not going to pick this guy. I picked this guy for the past three years. Um, I'm not going to lay that evil on them this time. Uh, I picked, I forget who I picked, but I did not pick the sky in 2020, 2021. And lo and behold, that's the year they win it all. Of course, <laughs> this is why I don't bet Madison. <laughs> right. Um, so we talked about championship picks and how, uh, you picked the sky, uh, three years in a row. And then the year they, you didn't pick them. They won. Um, so we talked about Vegas. We talked about the Liberty. Are one of those two teams your championship pick, or are you going somewhere else? No, I, I, I feel like I feel like it's almost wrong to not go with either the Aces or Liberty at this point. Um, I know I know it sounds cliche. I know I know it's very safe, but at the same time, these two teams haven't done anything yet to disprove why they shouldn't be the favorites, Vegas in particular. Because, again, with the Liberty, the whole difference is going to be how they start the season. How are they going to respond to these expectations? How are they going to respond to, you know, having so much firepower on this roster? Because, you know, we've seen we've seen super teams crash and burn before uh, on every level of every sport. But at the same time, I think that this is going to be a real exciting opportunity for Liberty. They have, they have their, they have this sense of franchise stability now, and I think they really want to win. I think they, 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 they were allowed to hit fast forward on this. I know we took, I know we compared the rebuilds of the Knicks and Liberty a couple, a couple months back, and we compared it in the sense that 
the Knicks, for, for example, trading for Donovan Mitchell would have been unnecessarily hitting fast forward on the reboot. But the Liberty have taken their not reboot, um, kind of their um, rebuilding process, and they and they were able to do that. Jalen Brunson was able to do it for them. Management should be the ones doing that. It's players that need to be doing that. And the interesting thing about this Liberty group is that there are players capable of doing that. The ironic part about a super team is that you're more or less only as good as your role players. And there are players who can do that on this Liberty group. For example, if you want to look at Death Stars, look no further than uh, Kayla Thornton. You're going to have Kayla Thornton come off the bench, and she's someone who was a staple in the Dallas starting five over the past, or the Dallas starting five over the past five years. She was there for a while, really made a name for herself after going undrafted in about 2015. And there's an opportunity for her there. We talked about Savali. We talked about uh, we talked we we we, we, we got to wait until uh, Marine Joe has come back. I hesitate to call her a role player. She's almost like a trick star out there the way she's done. But um, you look at so many. You look at what the what they've tried to do, and you look at what Vegas did last year. Hamby spoke for herself. Um, you had Raquana Williams off the bench. You had Sydney Colson off the bench. It, you're only as good as your role players in this league. We've talked about Willoughby. We've talked about what D.D. Richards was able to bring. She was actually one of the surprise releases. But we've talked about what she was able to bring last year and the past couple of years with this group. So now you have Thornton coming off the bench. You're going to have uh, a very stacked interior with Sabli if and when she gets healthy, with Han Shu, who is really who is really to take, in, to take over a bigger part at the top of the key so far this season. You might have Steph Dolson this time around. Depends on what the starting five is going to look like. Uh, you might have John Paul Jones and Brianna Stewart starting at the posts, in, in, at least for the time being. I don't see why you wouldn't at this point in time, provided they have uh, adjusted well to the offense. But you're going to have a lot of former starters on this lineup coming off the bench and providing some excellent depth. It's all about depth in this league. And, you know, what Vegas and New York have built at this point in time seems very impenetrable. Now, there will be contenders. I mean, you know, you never want to miss. You never want to mess, for example, with a full strength Elaine Deladon in Washington. That's where the Liberty will be tomorrow night. So I I feel at this point in time, you know, it'd be almost foolhardy not to consider to consider someone other than New York or Vegas at this point. Again, long season. Time will tell. Absolutely, yeah. I don't know who I'm going to pick. Maybe I'll reveal it on my regular show tomorrow. All right. Um, let's switch. What was that? I said, please do. I'll be, I'll be, I'll be waiting. Yeah, I'll do it tomorrow on the regular show. All right. NASCAR so far this season. Um, interesting in all three leagues. Um, what jumps out to you so far in the Cup Series? Uh, one thing I do want to point out in the Cup Series is that um, Alex Bowman has been docked 60 points. He was part of those Hendricks bullies. He's missed each of the last two or three races, and yet he's only five points out of a playoff spot. So I think he and the 48 team deserve a lot of credit there. I think some further credit belongs to Josh Berry filling in for those Hendrick guys, first filling in for Chase Elliott and later filling in for, and now filling in for Bowman. Elliott, for Elliott too, as a matter of fact, I feel that, you know, you look at his ledger, four top tens and seven appearances so far, missed six races due to the uh, leg injury he suffered snowboarding. He, 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 this won't stop him by any stretch of the imagination, but the rate he's racing, I, he might be able to make the playoffs 
without a win at this point. It depends on how the standings go, depending on how the point standings go. But I give him a lot of credit there. Um, but obviously, the headline in NASCAR right now has to be uh, Ross Chastain and his sense of aggressiveness. Ross Chastain is bona fide NASCAR's villain right now. It seems like no race is complete without Chastain getting into the back of somebody. And, you know, but what's interesting about Chastain is that he's different from so-called other NASCAR, other NASCAR so-called villains. And the reason for that is, in my opinion anyway, is that he's taken a long journey to get into the race. You know, he had to earn his chances with so many small teams, you know, nice motorsports. You know, he had to uh, call it racing, really help put them on the map in the Xfinity Series. Uh, so he's had to earn his ride. And also, he does genuinely seem apologetic when he gets into these guys a little bit. I know he talked to uh, he talked to the Hendrick guys he got into this week. Um, he talked to Noah Gregson a little bit. So it's really interesting to see. But now, will all this aggressiveness kind of cost him a title at this point in time? He's turning himself into a villain a little bit, but the, but the fact remains, he's remained consistent, but is his aggressiveness starting to cost him wins because you look you look at the laps led leaders lap leaders this year uh chastain is fourth at 337 he's won five stages and he leads the point standings by 25 but still this point system values wins more and more and that's what's going to make william byron who's won three races this year uh particularly dangerous dangerous come playoff time so and Kyle Larson, who's won two more. So I feel that there's a lot of eyes on Ross Chastain at this point in time, and it's only going to that's only going to get bigger as we push forward in this season. Will he able to be keep will he be able to keep that lead in the points? I think he's fully capable. But the question I think a question has to be asked, is this is his form, is his unique style of aggressive driving gonna cost him at any point? I would agree with that. Yeah, Ross Chastain, great start to the season and <laughs> even Byron has been amazing. I think William Byron's been very oh, yeah. impressive as well. Um, who's a guy you think's been a little disappointing so far in Cup? Honestly, I, um, I, I honestly, um, you could you could make several cases at this point right now. My uh, my personal choice would probably be uh, Eric Jones. You know, Legacy Motorsports, uh, Legacy uh, Legacy Motor Club, formerly uh, Richard Petty Motorsports. Um, he uh, they really get they really. Um, kind of made a name for themselves last year i know they've added i know they still had the 42 car which has kind of suffered a little bit um uh ty Dillon struggled there last year noah gregson's been having a little trouble in that 42 the car this year as a rookie um so and it's tough to see what eric jones has gone through this year only two top tens through the first 13 races so far uh and you know he was really he, he really struck me as a driver to watch especially after he won last year's playoff race kind of crashed the playoff party a little bit at Darlington, so it's been disappointing to see what he's had to go through early on. And, you know, we're slowly inching towards a point of no return. We're slowly entering towards a point where we might have to have a conversation about Austin Dillon, or at least Richard Childress, Richard Childress Racing might have to. Because the excuses that, you know, RCR is kind of on the downtrend, those are all eliminated when Kyle Busch is continuing to be Kyle Busch in his car. Again, it's probably nowhere near where Kyle Busch wants to be. But at the same time, you can't have him running consistently in the top 10. You can't have him winning races 
And meanwhile, Austin Dillon is struggling to stay in the top 30 in points. So, and only leading, I think it's what, three laps this year. So it's, it's a really tough look, especially for someone, you know, driving the three car. Now, I feel like one of the biggest myths in NASCAR is that, you know, Dillon kind of used nepotism to earn that role. Okay, maybe he played a tiny role, but he was a very talented driver on both the truck and the Xfinity circus. And we've seen him, uh, you know, we've seen him have these brief flashes of brilliance at the cup level. I think, I think as recently as last year, I was, I was putting him in my final eight, but right now this is not a good look for that group out there. And, you know, you can only say, you know, RCR has been on a downtrend. The Chevrolet's have been on a downtrend for so long. This is a tough look for that three group. At some point, RCR might have to have an awkward, uncomfortable conversation with him. I would have to agree with that. And Kyle Busch, very non-Kyle Busch-like. I mean, he did win the second race on the season, but he's kind of been very up and down. I was going to make a case for him for disappointing driver. But on the flip side, someone that's been surprising, I'd say is Bubba Wallace. I think Bubba Wallace has been pretty decent this year, believe it or not. He has been. He has been. Um, you know, it's, it was. It, he's making the quietest, one of the quieter playoff cases I've seen. I looked at the standings. I was like, oh my goodness, Bubba Wallace is in, not only in the playoffs, but in there by a healthy margin because he's been real quiet so far. Um, you know, but that's probably a good thing. You know, one of the, one of the best things you could say about Matt, you, you could say about a driver is that he takes care of the car. You know, take care of the car, the car will take care of you. And well, and Wallace has done that in the early going. He has, you know, stayed out of trouble. Uh, of course, uh, of course, uh, pit road sometimes still is his issue, but that's not his. That's on the 23 team as a whole. For better or worse, NASCAR is a team sport. So he's really done well in that regard. So I feel like a win is coming for that 23 group. Um, you know, and they're at a, they're at a point where, you know, uh, 2311 no longer has to kind of, you know, steal Daytona or steal Dal- T- Talladega like we saw, uh, we, like we've seen several times, like we saw Ricky Stenhouse do at the start of the season. That's right. They no longer had to rely on that. We, he, uh, Wallace is capable of winning race. We saw him dominate the Paul Kansas event last year. And, you know, some tried to say, and, and, I, and I know 2311 made it clear that this was not the case. Um, you know, some try to say, okay, he's driving Kurt Busch's car. Of course, he's going to look much better. But he's really making a name for himself out there and has done a solid job this year. He's staying out of trouble in the early going. And I feel that's like one of the best things you can ask for from guys circuits this year. And I do want to give I do want to give um, some shout outs to other guys I see in the standings. I want to give a shout out to uh, Todd Gilman, who has mustered three top tens in the uh, 38 Ford. You know, it's it's, it's kind of messed up what uh, Front Row did to him. You know, saying like, okay, look, we're we're going to keep you in the 38, but um, we're going to have Saint Smith run some rides this year. But he's again stayed out of trouble in that 38. Made sure it's running at rough nature. It's running at the finish. Good for him. Uh, you also have to give some credit, I think, to uh, Corey LaJoy, who has uh, you know, it's a, it seems like such a small staff, but he's fourth in laps run this season. And wow. That's, that's really telling. He's only behind Denny Hamlin, Ryan Blaney, and Ross Chastain. So LaJoy has run more laps than Truex, run more laps than guys like Keselowski, guys like Kevin Harvick, guys like William Byron. That's very interesting to me. So I really got, I really think those guys in the smaller level deserve some credit too. But definitely, uh, definitely you can make case for Walls being a uh, strong, surprising driver. Um, you know, again, I don't think, I don't, especially with the way he started the season, I don't think many of many would expect him to have a solid 31-point cushion on the playoffs come the All-Star break. Yeah, that's amazing for him with the All-Star break coming up. 
Um, let's go to Xfinity really quick. Um, something that jumped out at me, how good um, Austin Hill started the season. I saw him win at Daytona, and then he won again at Vegas, and he's kind of fallen off. What happened to Austin Hill? Yeah, it's tough to say what's going on with that with that car. I mean, I mean, one, I mean, one of one of I think someone who's fallen off even further is uh, Riley Herbst. Who yes, started the year with uh, six top ten finishes. It got it got to a point where I was like, hey, here's an idea. Let's put Riley Herbst in Kevin Harvick's car ne next year. Um, but unfortunately, you know, he's running into some issues. We saw what happened to Darlington. I think he was the first guy to get a stripe over Dar Darlington. So things have been tough there. Um, I don't think it's so much as, as you know, Austin Hill's been suffering. I think it's more that several other drivers have kind of, you know, stepped up in comparison. John Hernanacek, for example. I mean, you, you saw last week on Saturday, how exciting was that finish? Uh, J.H. Nemechek, John Hunter holding his own against the great Kyle Larson. So I feel it's more, you know, guys are kind of like stepping up a little bit. Josh Berry kind of using the moment. No wins yet for Josh Berry over Junior Motorsports 8. But he's kind of uh, using the momentum of some solid cup runs to help him out a little bit. Just an all-guy. I think he's got like, what, four or five consecutive top five finish finishes. So I don't think it's more, I don't think it's an issue of Austin Hill falling off. I feel like the other guys are kind of stepping their own games up and starting to make cases for themselves. I mean, look at Sammy Smith, too. Uh, you know, guy, guy, guy is going to his prom and winning races out there now. So look at Chandler Smith; he's making a strong rookie case for himself. Another Truck Series guy. So what? And look at Brandon Jones; he's starting to get the number nine car together. Got caught up in an incident last week. Look at Jeff Burton, surprisingly going going to victory lane. So mm. again, I feel like yes, he's not he's not he's not racing at the torrid pace we saw at the start of the year. But at the same time, I think there's enough encouraging results that RCR can kind of. You, can, can feel good about themselves, about him in that 21 car at this point in time. Yes, and then the Truck Series, very quickly, uh, they're the one league that actually has a race this weekend at North Wilkesboro. Um, so, um, they have interesting truck season so far. Grant Effinger won a race a few weeks ago in Kansas, Christian X. So, they've had a different amount of winners Kyle Bush won a race so I think the the truck race series is wide open who do you think's the favorite at this point honestly at the start of the year I said it was uh Carson Hosebar but he struggled at the gate although he did pick up he did pick up a win giving credit there um I think it's hard to discount the knowledge the uh knowledge and experience though of Zane Smith and you're seeing him kind of separate himself from the early going i think you i think you're right about the xfinity series in the sense that we're that we're seeing um a lot of variety in the winners this year you know grant Empinger picking up one and christian neck is picking up two uh host of our winner race Corey Hine going to victory lane in kyle bush's truck so i feel that this youth revolution is good for the sport kind of jesse's in second place too as a matter of fact and you gotta figure and Doing so by only leading 16 laps. That's that's crazy. I, and you have to account for, and look at Tanner Gray in eighth place. Nick Sanchez, a rookie, has done really well running up the front. So you're going to see a lot of guys. You're going to see some very talented drivers in the truck series miss out on the playoffs, I feel. Haley Deegan starting to get it together in the 13. Chase Purdy will contend a little bit in, in another Kyle Busch truck. You might see Tyler Ankrum and Garcia get held out. So I feel that you're going to see some very talented drivers miss out on the playoffs. But for NASCAR, it's both a blessing and a curse. It means that the next generation of drivers, you really are set up really, really well for the future. Yes, absolutely. I think NASCAR's in a good spot right now going forward long term. All right, 
before we go, Wait. let's let's talk about our uh, beloved uh, teams that play at Madison Square Garden. We'll start with the Rangers. Um, they obviously lose to the Devils in the first round. Gerard Gallant gets canned. Um, you and I are in agreement on who we think should be the next Ranger head coach, and that is Hartford Wolfpack coach Chris Knobloch. Do you think he is the right man for the job? And I would expect him to get an interview. Wouldn't you think so? Madison, I'll put it this way. The one, the closest thing we'll have to peace on Ranger Twitter was that one week during, again, the COVID year, but not really a COVID year, in 2021 when Chris Knobloch took over for uh, David Quinn and his staff to test positive. He comes on the bench. And for that week plus that Chris Knobloch was on the bench was the most blissful, peaceful week that you will ever see on Ranger Twitter because, you know, the best thing you can do in your Ranger debut is beat the Flyers 9-0. And that's exactly that's what, exactly what a Chris Knobloch-led team did. And I think he deserves a ton, ton of credit nonetheless for the revolution, basically, he, he had going in Hartford. Hartford, unfortunately, eliminated last night, but they were at the bottom of the AHL. They were at the dregs of the league, the NHL's equivalent to AAA, and... But he got them. He got them to play their best. He did a very, very well with a very interesting, very diverse group of rookies and vet, uh, prospects and veterans down there. And I think you know he is. He the timing could not be better because the Rangers. I feel do not need a retread right now. Like normally, when you see a team like the Rangers, a team that uh, you know has a little trouble closing the deal when it comes to the playoffs, closing the deal. When it comes to you know advancing advancing in the elite playoff rounds, because you know the reason I think Gallant left at least uh, the Gallant Gallant was let go at least at least before you know player exit interviews reportedly you know did a number on him. He was granted a team where it was like, look, if you can't win with this team, this team, I, we don't know what to tell you. But for some reason, you know, it just feels like the Rangers do not need that coach that has, quote, been there before, that has won before. This does not seem like a time to do a retread. And Knobloch, however, he knows the system, he knows this team, he knows how to operate with Chris Drury. This is the time. The timing could not be better. You don't want to get a retread. Think outside the box. There's a perfect opportunity to do that. And with Hartford eliminated... I don't know why it hasn't happened already, to be honest. And watch this. Five minutes after I get off the phone with you, it'll happen. But <laughs> but, um, I, but I'm surprised it hasn't happened already. Let's leave it at that. Yeah, I just assume that they're probably going to give uh, Knobloch a day or two to uh, to settle down. They just got swept by the Hershey Bears. And um, yep. they, uh, they'll they probably give him an interview maybe early next week or so. And Hartford did have a really good season just at uh, – I follow the AHL a little bit. Um, I've gone to a couple of um, AHL games before, um, and I actually did watch game one of the uh, uh, Wolfpack Bears series. The Wolfpack probably should have won game one, but the Bears came back from 2 nothing down to beat them in overtime. I actually watched that game with a friend. And then, um, what was that? I said very nice. Yes, I did watch that game, and Hartford played very well, and I like Knobloch. I really hope he's the guy, and I completely forgot about the uh, – the uh, intern stint he had for like two games where he dominated the Flyers on uh, on national TV. Good times. 
I think I think yeah, it was on national TV. It was part of like NBC's. Uh, they 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 wasn't called then. It was and their their Wednesday night rivalry. Oh my goodness, that that seems like forever ago. But uh, yes, I can't believe that was only two. Minutes. And I think it was <laughs> Kenny Albert on the call too. Ironically enough. Yes, yes, because he, he had just taken over NBC's top mic from top top microphone from Emrick. So it, it was it, it must have been him. It's right. Yes, because Emrick retired after the bubble. And then um, yep. Kenny Albert took over. Now Kenny Albert's the lead guy on Turner, and Kenny gets to call the Santa Cup final this year as well. That's right. That's right. And t- t- uh, Turner, TNT, TBS, or whatever they're called now, Warner Brothers, Warner Brothers Discovery. Their coverage has been great, by the way. I can I cannot stress that enough. Oh, and, I think and, their um, coverage and, is amazing. Oh, it's been fantastic, and I'm not and I'm not just saying that because you know. It's great to see Henrik Lundqvist back in the NHL playoffs. I love, I love seeing that. I love when he puts the pads on in the yes. studio and whatnot. But yeah. I, I, I think to top it all off, too, I think Knobloch's stint somewhat coincided when the first games with fans back in the garden in a year. Not, it wasn't the first game. It was like among the first where like fans started to, where attendance started to open up more and. You know, it was just an absolute perfect storm, and he responded in the best way possible. Because I, again, the the twenty twenty one season, like the COVID year, but the not the COVID year, was interesting because I really enjoyed the uh, divisional setup too. You, you seem to be playing a rival every single night. One of my favorites, one of my favorite guilty pleasures, was the uh, was the de facto Canada Conference they had that year. All the Canadian teams in the same division oh, playing yeah. each other, beating up, beating each other up on a nightly basis. So. If, if, if they can bring that feeling back, that'd be incredible. I feel not obviously not the whole you know uh, control and uh, you know lockdown not stuff and whatnot. So yeah, if they can bring back you know the hockey aspects of it, that'd be a lot of fun. <laughs> yeah, let's see if uh, they pull the trigger with a knob block or not. I really think they are. Um, all right, and then yeah, I think so too. the Knicks. Um, their season <laughs> ends Friday in Miami against the Heat. Um. The Heat have an excellent chance to make the finals. They're up one nothing on the Celtics right now. Um, what do you think is next for this Knicks team? And um, what are your thoughts on them uh, losing that pick to Dallas? Well, first of all, I think I, I think I think it's not. I I know the Mavericks got fined for that little stunt. They got what fined six figures for that, but that that, that punishment doesn't really fit the crime. It, 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 the NBA should come down harder. I feel on Dallas. I'm not just saying that as someone in tune with the Knicks because the entire point of the play-in tournament, which Miami has justified the existence of the play-in tournament and then some, I feel, with, with what they've been able to do, the entire point of the play-in tournament was to prevent teams from tanking, to put, to put teams who are in that de facto purgatory of 7-10 to 10 range. It gives them something to play for. It gives them a chance like, hey, we should kind of play for sixth place here. Hey, we should play these stars. And, and for Cuban to kind of, you know, spit in the face of what the tournament, of what the playing tournament was made for, and more or less make a mockery of the modern NBA postseason setup, deserved more than just a fine. They probably should have lost that pick. They probably should have been docked, been docked something. That 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 was that was not something that fit the crime. But then again, I'm sure Mavericks fans could claim that uh, you know, hey, the Knicks tampered with Brunson and only lost a second round pick. But that's another conversation entirely. They're two different penalties. They're two different acts. So first things first, I feel that. Dallas, you know, should have gotten more for that. But again, 
another conversation entirely. Unfortunately, that will be used against the Knicks, though, because this is still a team that every time Steph Curry hits a three-pointer, which obviously is often, every time Steph Curry hits a three-pointer, people are reminded, hey, the Knicks could have had him, completely regarding, completely disregarding the fact that the Knicks were the pick after. But that's part of the Knicks tax that you and I have discussed so many times. Any simple mistake in New York is amplified 40-fold because people love to use the Knicks as a guaranteed punchline. So the thing about this Knicks season is interesting in the sense that two-thirds of the NBA, I feel, okay, maybe half, would give their left arms for to have a season like the Knicks had. Because the Knicks' expectations, everyone and their mother thought their ceiling was to, you know, host a playing game. That was a realistic goal for them, to host a playing game, to be in that purgatory, host a playing game. Jalen Brunson, you know, shows you a little something. Jalen Brunson turned out to be a bonafide superstar, and I think it's absolutely ridiculous that he only got a single MVP vote. He should have been up there for more. I know that, you know, a case for the best player from a fifth-round team isn't exactly... It's, it's, not, it's not sexy by any stretch of the imagination, but the fact that he did that and forced Dallas into a path where they were, you know, intentionally tanking games just to keep the 10th best odds at the lottery says a lot. And and the fact, too, that the Knicks were not looking at guys like Patrick Beverly at the... Uh, at the at, in the post trade deadline chaos, they that that define more. But again, another conversation. Um, in terms of the future for the Knicks, I think you do have to evaluate what, evaluate what you do going forward. Jalen Brunson is the new fan, franchise face of this team. I don't think I don't don't think that's arguable at this point. And to that end, I think you kind of have to get rid of uh, you kind of have to part ways with Julius Randle a little bit. Knicks history can be defined by you know so many different eras, both good and bad. You know, you had in the, in the early days you have the Willis and Clyde era, you have the Ewing era that spans from the eighties to the nineties. New century gets a little bit rougher from there on out. You have the bittersweetness of the Carmelo era and you and you and before that you probably had the Stephon Marbury era. This is the Julius Randle era. What do you have to speak for it? You had this playoff victory, but can you say that Randle played, you know, such a big role in it? I don't want to hold it against no to hold it against him too badly. He did play injured, so I'll give him credit there. But I think I think you have to kind of part ways with Randall a bit and kind of get yourself so another some another someone to kind of compliment Brunson a little bit, someone who can form a de facto you can form a de facto big three with, with because or at least a big two because in the NBA you are not going to go too far if you don't have two top twenty five players out there unless of course you're Nikola Jokic in Denver. Um, so I feel that um, they will part and you look at the. You, you look at the rest of the roster this time around. You want you have to you have to decide what you want to do with RJ Barrett and Obi Toppin. Obi Toppin, when he was finally granted the opportunity, played a very solid month of basketball. RJ Barrett, you know, disappointing season, roller coaster season, mostly disappointing. But you can't say he didn't show up for the playoffs. And I, I know I know you've been a defender of uh, uh, RJ Barrett for a while now, and, and your faith was vindicated, and then some. I think you know people were ready to pounce on him when he had that tough game. I think it was. Game four, I want to say, of the Miami series. And he kind of had the tough one in game six as well. You know, had 11 points in the first quarter, pretty much all at the foul line, and then went one and seven the rest of the way. But, you know, the way he was able to sustain the team, able to keep pace with Brunson, be a strong complement to Brunson, 
I feel that he kind of secured his future moving forward. And I think it's going to be easier to trade Randall than it will be to trade Barrett in a way, because the, the, the real tough part about um, missing out on the, let's just call it, 11, the tough part about missing out on Dallas's pick is that would have been a, such a perfect bargaining chip a perfect sweetener say okay listen you have to take on this 117 million dollar extension we just gave to randall uh but at the same time we'll throw in the 11th world pick as well so that's a little tough right there and you know it's it's interesting because this is the first like long-term snag of the jalen brunson era the first long-term issue or snag the first term problem of the Jalen Brunson era, and he can do nothing about it in the sense. This is up to management to kind of work their way out because they don't have a, they don't have their regular scheduled first-round pick because they went out and brought in uh, Brunson's collegiate teammate, Josh Hart. And the funny thing is, you can't say that the and, – and last draft, too, they traded away – they tra- traded away what was then – I think that might have been the 11th pick at the time, too. Uh, they traded away that. They traded a chance to get Jalen Duran. Uh, and to build a de facto Jalen Brunson budget, traded away their trade away their second rounder too, all to build a de facto Jalen Brunson project. And those were the sweeteners then. Say, look, you have look, take on the contract of Alec Burks, take on the contract of Nerlens Noel, take on the contract of Kemba Walker. But at the same time, we'll give you these firsts as well. And with and and the first you send to us, you know, there won't be much protection on. It. I think, like for example, the, the one of the picks they got for Detroit for Duran was i think it was like top 14 protected and and that came from washington so basically you know basically you know from the Knicks perspective you can't say that these were the wrong moves to make brunson has built a sustainable future for new york that has proven both sustainable and electrifying josh hart there's no doubt that the knicks were a different team with josh hart in the lineup so these objectively were not bad move for the Knicks. But now they kind of have to work themselves out of a pickle a little bit. So it's going to be interesting to see how they approach this offseason. I 100% agree with you, and I can't wait to see what uh, transpires this offseason with the Knicks and around the NBA just in general. So, Jeff, it was an awesome time to have you on. As always, we'll catch up sometime in the summer. Maybe once a baseball trade deadline comes up, we'll be at the All-Star break by WNBA by then, and then NASCAR will be well into the second half. So, Hope you have a great night. Best and you too. Keep up the great work. Absolutely. See you soon.